Well, good morning again. It's great to be with you. Uh, my name is Bryce Hales. I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC. And uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, uh, especially want to welcome you and thank you for being with us. If you've got a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to open it to Matthew chapter 5. And I'm just going to be reading one verse this morning. Let me invite you to stand with me as we give our attention to God's Word. Matthew 5, of course, is the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 5, verse 4, Jesus says these words, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Would you pray with me again? Let's pray. Oh God, as we now turn our attention in a focused way to your word, we pray for the life and light of the Spirit to guide us to encounter Jesus more fully, that you might be glorified in our lives and on earth, even as you are now in heaven, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated, please. Well, today is June 7th. It is exactly three months since we met last as a church in person on March 8th. It's been exactly three months. One quarter of the year has passed, and so much has happened during that time, hasn't it? Many of us have learned to work from home. We've grown beards. I wish I could grow a beard, but I, uh, I can't, but I've grown my hair. <laughs> We've celebrated birthdays, we've celebrated Mother's Day, we've celebrated Easter without gathering together as a church in person to celebrate our resurrected Savior. Our kids have graduated from kindergarten and elementary and high school and even college, and they have done that all online. Some of us have picked up new habits and hobbies. We've learned to cook and bake bread. We've wondered more than ever about the future. Perhaps we've refocused on our immediate families. We've spent less on gas and discovered that our busyness doesn't go away simply because we have fewer things on our calendars. So much has happened since we last gathered together as a church in person. And of course, our world has been rocked in that time by a global pandemic unlike anything in living memory, and more recently in the last couple of weeks, our nation has once again been forced to reckon with racial tensions. Sadly, the sense that many of us felt three months ago that we are gonna pull together and get through this hard time together has evaporated as our country has becoming, become even more polarized and divided. So much has changed together since we were last gathered in a room together as a church on March 8th. And yet, I have a great hope for God's church. I have great hope for God's church, not because we are better than everybody else, and not because we're just going to buckle down and get through this, not because we among all people have landed on the perfect opinions about every current event, but because the power of God is at work in us and through us in the person of the Holy Spirit. 
As I've said many times before, the church is God's plan A. The church is the hope of the world. And so even when we are going through dark times as a country, dark times in our world, uh, the people of God can have hope because the people of God corporately together are the body of Christ in the midst of this dark world. And so my prayer is and has been for the last three months that the Christian church would rise to the occasion. When our world is torn apart by fear, I've been praying and continue to pray that Jesus' bride would enter into a hurting world to bring the peace of Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit, may we be the aroma of Christ in a world that is filled with the stench of death and hate and fear. Will we rise to the occasion? So much has changed. And friends, if we are going to rise to the occasion and become the people that God is calling us to believe, I believe that we are going to need to learn a new skill that is unfamiliar to us. We are going to need to flex muscles that have long since atrophied. We will need to recover a practice that is central to the scriptures and yet wholly absent from our lives. The practice of mourning and lament is important. It is imperative if we are to become the aroma of Christ in a divided world. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage. Because as he says here, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed, uh, blessed, hashtag blessed, right? It's just another word for happy. Happy are those who mourn. What? That doesn't make any sense to us, does it? But Jesus says it is those who mourn that are happy because they will be comforted. Frederick Bruner, in his masterful commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, says that in order to really get the sense of Jesus' words, uh, this verse, this beatitude, might be better translated like this, blessed are the brokenhearted, because they will be comforted. It's those whose hearts are breaking that will experience God's comfort. And so today, as we mark three months since we last met in person, and in light of all that's changed in this time, in light of God, who, who God is calling us to be in this moment, and in light of the series that we finished last week about the person and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, the God, the divine person who is so unknown to us, and yet who is at work both in us and through us, today I want to try to understand better what Jesus means in these words. Why is it that those who are brokenhearted are the ones that are blessed? And what does it actually look like to mourn? And what difference would our mourning make in a broken world? How might God bless us and use us as we learn to mourn? And I want to encourage you this morning to take notes, even if you're not the sort of person who normally takes notes on a sermon because I'm going to give you a few practical suggestions on what this actually looks like. The last thing I want to do is say, you need to mourn and then leave you to figure out how to do it on your own. It's not something I do well. It's not something we as a culture know how to do well. And so I'm going to give you some practical steps and then we're going to actually practice this together in our service. 
what does Jesus mean when he says that those who mourn are the ones who are happy? Well, the first thing that I want you to look at with me is this question, why must, why must we mourn? Why we must mourn? I think that we have to begin by trying to take a step back if we can and look at ourselves get a sense of the context that we live in because we live in and have been shaped by a time that has been incredibly optimistic. We want every single sentence to end with an exclamation mark. And in case you're wondering, that sentence in my notes ended with an exclamation mark. Every text I write, every email I send, every time I post on social media, I feel this pull to end every sentence with an exclamation mark. How are you doing? It was great to see you, exclamation mark. Please join us, exclamation mark. Uh, it was great to be with you, exclamation mark. We want to convey the sense that we are very excited and positive. And if we can take a step back and look at ourselves, we have to admit that that is a uniquely modern, and I think it's fair to say Western expectation. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I have no problem with things being great. It's great that things are great, exclamation mark. But the expectation that things should always be great blinds us to reality. For the vast majority of human history, humans have not lived with the expectation that everything is always going to get better and be even greater than it is now. So could you, would you consider with me just some of the things that have happened since we last gathered in person together as a church? North of 100,000 people in this country alone have died of complications related to COVID-19. 100,000 bearers of the image of God are gone. Almost 40 million Americans have filed for unemployment in the last nine weeks. That's tragic. And we should mourn that reality. A report came out, it was published, I think, in the Washington Post last week, that said 34% of Americans are currently struggling with depression or anxiety. That means if you look to the left and to the right, one of the three of you is struggling with depression or anxiety. Enormous tolls have been placed on our economy, on our emotional and mental health, and on our relationships. Several people of color have been killed Again, regardless of your politics, the lives of bearers of the image of God have been snuffed out, and that is tragic. Also, over the last three months, I have sinned. Repeatedly, I have resisted God's good plan for my life. I have hurt people I love with my words. I've judged others. I could go on, but I'm not the only one. Uh, I'm not alone in this. And let me be clear that this list is not exhaustive by any means. So much has happened in just these last three months 
and there is so much to mourn. We, we mourn over sin and death. We mourn over the sin and death in our own lives and in the lives of others. So much of what goes on in the world grieves God and it should grieve us. It breaks his heart and we should be heartbroken over it too. And so we have to mourn because that is the only way to live in reality in a world where so much is wrong. I have a friend who many, many years ago bought a car and he had always wanted to buy a convertible and so he saw an ad for a Mazda Miata on, face, on, a, on Craigslist and he showed up, a used Mazda Miata, and he showed up and he was so excited because it was red and it was a great deal. And so in his enthusiasm and in his excitement, he bought the car on the spot and he was really excited about it for at least a week. And after about a week or so, it began to make a strange noise and he began to um, look for the first time, really, at the dashboard of his car. And the dashboard was you know, black, and he noticed that there was a part of the dashboard that had a little different texture than the rest of it. And so he began to pick at that part of the dashboard, and as he did that, he peeled back and eventually pulled off a piece of black electrical tape. And when he pulled that piece of black electrical tape uh, off the dashboard, there he saw a bright red engine, check engine light blaring at him. <sighs> and of course, reality came crashing in on him that the check engine light had been on the whole time, even though he was unaware of it. And his ignorance of the problem hadn't changed the reality of the problem. It had only masked his ability to assess the problem realistically. Friends, our desire to ignore the difficult realities of life does not make them go away. It only masks our ability to assess reality accurately, realistically. And so we have to learn to mourn because it is the only way to remain connected to reality in a world where so much is wrong. As I heard somebody say this week, God is so real that the only place he can be encountered is in reality. And if we are going to be, remain connected to reality, we have got to be people who learn to mourn because reality is often heartbreaking. Jesus is saying here that when we mourn, we are in a deep, or when we mourn and are in a deep sadness, we are in the hands of God more than at any other time in our lives. So we have to learn to mourn. But secondly, what I want you to see and this is so important, is that mourning is an active posture. To mourn is an active posture. This is so important because we have this tendency to think that mourning is something that just happens to us. That we mourn when we are blindsided by something that is so horrible that grief overtakes us. You know, we think of mourning and lamenting as something that we would do if we got the dreaded phone call that our spouse had been killed in a car accident. And we are just overcome in that moment and we cannot help avoid 
morning. But most of the time we think if we are strong, then we can avoid mourning, and that is absolutely antithetical to what the Bible says. You know, the longest book in the Bible is the book of Psalms. And because we have this tendency to sort of like dip in and out of the Psalms to to read the parts of it that are familiar to us, um, but not to read the book as a whole, kind of one Psalm after the next, because of the way we just dip in and out of the book of Psalms, we have this tendency to uh, just ignore the reality that about 70% of the Psalms are laments. We don't realize how many of the Psalms are laments. Laments, these are songs that, that, that help us take our sadness and direct it back to God. And the Psalms give us a pattern for how to do that. It is not strength to avoid mourning, grief, and laments. It is wisdom. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 4 says, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. The wise are those who know how to mourn, those who only know how to experience amusement, the Bible says, are fools. So mourning or lament is not something that just happens to us. It is an active posture. It is something that we will learn to do if we are wise. So how do we do it? And this is the part where I would encourage you to take notes because I'm going to give you three steps about how to actually mourn. And I'll tell you what they are, and then I'll come back and explain. So these are the three steps to lean into the active posture of mourning. The first is pay attention. Number one, pay attention. Number two, wait with God. And number three, look for the light. Pay attention, wait with God, and look for the light. What does that mean? Well, first we have to begin by paying attention to what's going on around us and what we're feeling internally. Because what we tend to do when we bump up against something that we don't like is one of three things. We either ignore it or some of us uh, wallow in it or increasingly we fight it. Ignore it, wallow in it, or fight it. Um, You know, we had a war on drugs and then we had a war on terror and it's kind of become the default posture for Americans that when something happens that's bad, we go to war against it. And that's really a problem for us because it is not possible to pull out guns and go to war against a virus that is spread by microscopic breath particles or droplets or whatever. Um, We cannot pull out, we cannot bomb racism out of existence. We cannot fight a war for mental health. We cannot fight a war for economic instability or against it. So what do we do when we can't fight against the things that we don't like? Well, what we do when we can't fight against the things that we don't like is we polarize the issue and we fight against the people on the other side of the issue. And we kind of ignore that there's a problem or we redefine the problem and then we fight against the people who won't get on board with our view of the problem. And that's why we are where we are right now. But if we're going to live in reality, we have to pay attention and stop ignoring or fighting or wallowing and learn to pay attention to what we're feeling. Because if we don't pay attention to our negative feelings or emotions, they will come out sideways. If we ignore the negative realities in life, they don't just go away and die. They get buried alive where they creep out in weird, unexpected, and harmful ways. 
If we don't pay attention to them, they will come out sideways. They will find another way to come out. They, they, they must find a release valve. They will come out of stress and anger. They'll come out through blame shifting or through sarcasm, through defensiveness. We medicate against them with alcohol or pornography or scrolling social media. They affect our bodies through weight gain or insomnia or irritable bowel syndrome. Ignoring your emotions is like driving your car with your dashboard blacked out. You have no idea how fast you're going. You have no idea how much fuel uh, you have. You have no idea if the engine needs attention. You're driving blind when you ignore your negative emotions. So the first step in mourning is that we have to stop running and we have to pay attention. Um, and that means we have to stop saying, I'm fine. I was interviewing a counselor last week uh, for my podcast and he said, fine is a smoke screen. I was like, yes, because I've been saying that for years at our church that we want to help you move beyond busy and fine. Fine is what we say is like a straight arm, like don't bother me. We, nobody's fine. Nobody's fine. Um, several years ago, through a, a season of counseling, I discovered a brand new emotion called sadness. I, of course, I knew that sadness was a thing before, but I didn't know how to experience it. And what I discovered in this process was that uh, I am an angry person. And the reason I'm so quick to jump to anger is because when there's something I don't like, I want to fix it. And anger is this drive to say, this is wrong, and I want it to be different. And discovering that there is a thing called sadness and being able to experience sadness allows me to simply say, I don't like this. It makes me sad. God, what are you doing in the midst of this? If you want to be a less angry person, you have to encounter your sadness. Okay, so we've got to pay attention. But secondly, wait with God. Psalm 130 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. One of the keys to mourning is understanding that mourning and laments are about paying attention to our sadness and then praying it, turning our sadness back towards God. Instead of mourning, we so often complain. And throughout the Old Testament, uh, you know, especially during the, the time when the, the people of Israel are traveling through the wilderness to the promised land, uh, God um, the, the, the um, charge God brings against his people is that they are grumbling. What's the difference between grumbling or complaining and lament? Well, the Bible draws a sharp contrast between godly grief and lament, which looks to God with hope, and the worldly grief or grumbling or complaining, which is only concerned with our own loss and is not directed towards God at all. In some ways, complaining is an accusation against God instead of an accusation to God. And so the key thing in this step is to wait, to wait with God. When everything is telling you to run or to blame, simply to stay put. But also, it's to wait with God, to process it with God. Um, in, in, after the sermon, we are going to sing a song of lament. And I know that they're never going to be at the top of any chart, but 
There are many, many great songs of lament. And I love to sing these songs because they, they, they embody our emotions. You know, they give voice to our emotions when we don't know what to say or what to, how we feel. Singing a lament gives words to our sadness. But the other thing that, that singing does is it enables us to then express, it, it enable to express to God what we're experiencing, but then to turn the corner towards hope. And the Psalms especially, as I said, you know, two-thirds of the Psalms are laments. Um, I mean, write this down. The Psalms are a great resource for this. Psalm 77, Psalm 88, Psalm 23, of course. Um, God is with us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Psalm 44, come to our help, O God. The Psalms give us permission to speak bluntly to God in a way that I don't think most of us would feel comfortable doing if it wasn't guided by Scripture itself. It would feel inappropriate to speak to, to, to God the way that so many of the Psalms instruct us to do. But then they also help us to see how our morning turns to hope. And hope is not just ignoring our circumstances or, you know, things are always going to work out for the better. But rather, hope is shifting our confidence from our circumstances to God himself. Trusting that God is in control, even when we feel completely out of control. Trusting that God is present with us, that he is at work, that he is doing something through these circumstances that we find ourselves saddened by, even though we don't know what's going on. Hope is not a naive wish about a better future. Hope is putting our trust in the God who is with us. So we wait with God through singing songs of lament. Uh, we wait with God through reading and through praying the Psalms. You know, one exercise I think is really helpful is to rewrite the Psalms in uh, language that feels more applicable to us. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I don't know if I've ever actually seen a shepherd in real life. But the Lord is my leader. He is my counselor. He is my comforter. He's the one who guides me. Rewriting the words of some of these psalms in our own language to personalize them is a great way to wait with God. Counseling is a great way to get help waiting with God, talking honestly and vulnerably uh, with friends that can help us process, who can ask good questions. All of these things are essential if we are going to be people who uh, wait with God as we mourn. But thirdly, finally, the third step in, in mourning is to look for the light. You know, we don't mourn because uh, we want to become Debbie Downers. We don't mourn like this kind of, uh, you know, Eeyore who's just always glum. We don't mourn because it'd be a really cool way to cultivate this like emo vibe. We mourn because it is what God uses to mature us. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus was uh, made perfect through what he suffered. The biblical pattern is that new life always begins in the dark. The book of Genesis, darkness hovered over the face of the deep, and it was out of the darkness that God called his good creation. Nicodemus, we read in John 3, went to visit Jesus in the dark, and it's there in the dark that he learns that God loved the world in such a way that he sent his only son to die. Of course, Jesus is crucified in the dark. Darkness hover, covers, covers the land as Jesus hangs on the cross, 
waiting in darkness. He dies, he's buried again, and it's from the darkness of death that new life springs forth on the morning of that first Easter Sunday as Jesus is raised to new life. God loves to birth new life out of death, and so we mourn, but as we mourn, we look for the light. And that brings me to the third final point. We mourn in order to be joyful. Listen again. Blessed are those who mourn, Jesus says, because they will be comforted. Blessed are the brokenhearted because they will be comforted. Not blessed are those who mourn because, you know, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Why do we want to mourn? We want to mourn because we want to be comforted. I want to be a person who is able to mourn because I want to experience joy in life because they will be comforted by God himself. If you want to experience true joy, you have to also be open to experiencing sadness. A while back, I went through a really painful loss in my life, and as I was processing that with my counselor, he asked me the question, how do you feel about this? And I said, it is what it is, which if you've seen Jerry Seinfeld's new comedy special is words you can assert confidently when you have no idea what you're talking about. How do you feel about this loss in your life? It is what it is. And my counselor said this to me. He said, you cannot selectively numb. If you want to experience joy, you have to also be open to experiencing sadness. You cannot close off the sadness part of your life without closing off the joy part of your life. We mourn in order to be joyful. We mourn because the alternative to mourning isn't to be happy. We mourn because the alternative to mourning is cynicism. It's becoming callous and naive. We mourn because we have a God who meets us in our mourning in order to bring joy. I mean, listen to Isaiah's prophecy Concerning Jesus, the first passage Jesus uh, read when he stood up and began his public ministry in the synagogue um, many years after, after Isaiah, Isaiah said this, Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and to comfort all who mourn. Psalm 130 says, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. God is a God who breathes new life out of the darkness. God uses our mourning to mature us. He uses our our mourning to grow us up, to make us more like Jesus. Jesus himself, Isaiah 53 says, was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Friends, we meet Jesus as we mourn. It's as we mourn that we experience that Jesus is with us. But the good news of the gospel is that mourning is not the final word. The Savior, who we suffer with as uh, as we mourn, The Savior whose suffering we share as we mourn is the one who was raised to new life on Easter Sunday. He will turn our mourning into new life. He will redeem our mourning by using it to transform us into the people that he is calling us to be. Have you ever been sad 
and sat with a shallow friend who has no idea what sadness is. If there's anything worse than being sad, it's the consolation of somebody who doesn't know what sadness is. We mourn in order to be joyful because mourning transforms us into the sorts of people who God can use. People who are compassionate and sympathetic. People who can say, in the midst of a world where everybody's an expert and has an opinion on everything, people who are mourn are people who can say, I, I don't know, actually. We can be people who are hopeful even when the world is dark. We mourn in order to be joyful because mourning is not the final word. Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. So why do we resist mourning? We resist mourning because we are afraid of being out of control. That's what I told my comfort, my counselor when he said, uh, how, how, how do you, you feel about that? And I said, it is what it is. I said, I'm afraid that if I allow myself to grieve, that it'll just swallow me up, that I will be out of control. And I don't want to be out of control. But friends, the good news is that we, when we mourn, we encounter that God is absolutely in control. Scott Sauls is an author and a pastor of a large church in Nashville. And uh, being a pastor of a church in Nashville, there are a lot of musicians in his church. And uh, one of those uh, guys is a guy named Dave Haywood. He is a, a member of the band Lady Antebellum, which... I guess, as a country band, if you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> but uh, Dave uh, Haywood has a son named Cash, and I think it was during this time of quarantine, as many parents are doing, um, his son had got this assignment of doing an art picture. Just draw an art picture. And um, this musician took a picture of his son's artwork and posted it online. And on that piece of art... Cash wrote these words. He said, my dad is 37 years old. My dad is 11 feet tall. My dad's job is playing music for people, which means he is in a band. I think it's called the You Look Good Band. <laughs> the You Look Good Band. Now, what I want you to notice is how blissfully ignorant this boy is about the details of his dad's work. This boy is completely ignorant of the thing his dad does that allows his dad to provide for him. The you look good band, right? But he is very specific and very clear about a few things, isn't he? My dad is 11 feet tall. In other words, my dad has got this. Friends, you have a God who is 11 feet tall. He's got this. He's got this. He's going to take care of you. He's inviting you to live in reality. He's inviting you to let your heart break over the brokenness of the world. He's inviting you to turn that sorrow back to him, which he will use to show you that he is with you, but he will also use it to transform you into the sort of person that he can truly use in this world to make you compassionate and kind and able to stand up for the truth and able to show others how to do the same. Blessed are the brokenhearted because they will be comforted.
Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you are with us in our sorrow. You are with us in our hurt and in our pain, and there is so much of that in our world now. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would help us to take the risky first step of just paying attention to ourselves. Instead of ignoring or wallowing or fighting what's going on in our world. Or blame shifting and fighting others. Help us to just be open. Be broken hearted and admit that to ourselves because there is so much wrong in our world. Jesus, we thank you that you are on your throne. That though this uh, pandemic caught us completely by surprise, it didn't surprise you in the least. We don't know what you're doing, but you know exactly what you're doing. And so we pray that you would help us to trust you, that we would be people who mourn, so that we might experience your comfort. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.